Good morning. Are you well? Good. If you guys were curious about whether or not smacking that wooden box hurts your hand, it absolutely does. So, you ever seen a white puffy hand on the hamburger helper box? That's about where I'm at right now. So, uh, my name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point. Thank you guys for joining us this morning in person and online. Has anyone ever in here ever experienced stress before? Nobody? All right. Well, uh, just about everyone. Stress is actually one of the most shared common human experiences that exist. It's one of the things that no matter what environment you grew up in, who you grew up around, what you grew up with, stress is one of the things that everyone will experience at some point or another in their life. Studies actually show that children, even as young as elementary school age, are experiencing stress today. The stress of having to learn all these things and make friends and deal with pandemics and social tension and political tension and things that shouldn't even be on their radar, but they're still subject to because of the world that they live in. And then you hit middle school, and middle school is like a jungle, man. Like, everything just goes crazy in middle school. Everything feels like it's the end of the world. It feels like the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. Or you start looking at other middle schoolers and thinking, you are beautiful and I'm in love with you. And then they turn and look at you and go, ew, and... (laughs) Middle school's tough. And then in high school, reality starts to set in. Like, man, I have to start figuring out what I'm going to do with my life. And then I have to keep up the good enough grades and have the the right image and extracurriculars to be able to do whatever it is I decide I want to do if I can even decide on anything. Some of us are almost 40 and still trying to figure out what we want to do. And some people go to college. And when you go to college, that's a whole different workload and approach. And that's stressful. And then you hit adult, regular adult life and questions about, will I ever meet anyone? Will I find someone? Will I ever get married? Then some people get married and they wonder, am I going to have to stay married for the rest of my life? That was a joke. (laughs) Then you start thinking about kids and we want to have kids or I don't know if we can conceive kids or you do have kids and it's like, what do I do with my kids? Like, I don't want to ruin my kids. You start hitting the later stages in life and begin to look back and reflect, like, did I do everything that I set out to do? Did I accomplish what I wanted? Like, what have I done with my life? There's so much stress. And then you have to be stressed about your stress because you learn that stress is one of the biggest things that can kill you. How stressful is that? And so what do you do? Like, how do you respond? Well, some people drink. Some people binge watch TV. Some people tune out and scroll on their phones. Some people watch porn. Some people find other people to give them attention and distract them. We see states all over the place rushing to push to legalize marijuana. Why do we do all these things? Because these things numb us from the stress temporarily. The truth is we do all these things. Are we any less stressed? No. Why? Why don't these things work? Well, it's because they are temporary. They're fleeting. The truth is, as you depend on these things more, you have to consume more of them to get the same effect. And so how do we overcome this stress epidemic? Well, it says in the book of Ephesians, it says, don't fill yourself with wine, but be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, don't try to use earthly things to fill supernatural holes in your spirit. That'll never work. It says instead, be filled with the Spirit of God, the only one who can satisfy you, the only one who can take away the stress. In the book of Colossians, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Did you know that you have control over what rules in your heart? The Bible says, don't succumb to the stress of the world and the world's way of dealing with it. Instead, bow down to Jesus and allow him to rule, allow him to clean up the mess, allow him to carry the stress that you're experiencing. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is going to erase all the things that cause you stress, but he is going to walk through them with you. He is going to give you strength that you could never find anywhere else. He is going to plant a peace inside your heart that is very strangely difficult for the world to steal away from you. Jesus is different. Someone say, Jesus is different. Like you mean it. Jesus is different. And he wants to make you different too. Now I say all these things because we're about to read Acts chapter 16. And in this chapter, Paul and Silas are about to encounter some real deal stressful situations. But the way that these things are going to play out is going to paint a picture for you and I about the difference that putting your hope in Jesus makes in stressful situations. Let's pray and then we can talk about it. God, I pray that you, that you bless these next few minutes that we have together. I pray that the power of your word and the truth of your word cuts into our hearts and into our lives. God, I pray that we don't walk out of this place the same way that we came in. God, I pray that we begin to look more like the people that you've called us to be. We lean more into the life that you desire for us, and more than anything, we walk out of this place knowing Jesus better than we did when we walked in. God, I commit this time to you. This is all about you. Clarify for us what you need to. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and get ready. If not, we're going to have words up on the screen. Uh, And we also have these Acts journals in some of the seats. And so if you're new with us or you don't have one of those, feel free to take that. Keep it. You can write notes in it. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, we're going to be continuing on in this building block series and following the missionary journeys of Paul and the men who accompanied him as they travel to all these areas to share the message of Jesus. But before we even get into the text and start reading about these things that Paul encounters, I need you to know what state of mind that Paul is in. I need you to know how Paul views his relationship with God. I need you to understand how God or how Paul sees God and how he relates to him because Paul's relationship with God is going to directly influence how he manages stress. And so before we even get to the stress, I need you to know how Paul sees his relationship with God. So how does Paul see his relationship with God? Well, he tells us pretty explicitly in Romans, and this is one of my favorite passages. This is where we're going to start. It says, for I am sure, this is Paul speaking. He doesn't say, I hope, I think. He doesn't say it'd be amazing if. Paul is certain. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where Paul starts. You want to be able to endure stressful situations, you need to understand that God loves you. You've probably been told this a lot of times in your life, God loves you. 
but do you see and feel the weight of that? You see, one of the biggest problems in the world today is that each and every one of us is simply a number to most of the world. You have a social security number. When you go to the hospital, they ask you to take a number. You have a driver's license number. You have loans, they all have a number. For all the bills you pay, you have an account number. In so many situations, it's take a number, take a number, take a number. But what I want you to know today is that with God, you are not a number. You're a name. He knows you by name. God has called you by name. He knows your story. He knows where you're struggling. He knows your circumstances. He knows what is causing all of your stress. He knows you and he loves you. How do I know that? Because he showed it pretty explicitly when he died for you. Can you imagine what a difference it would make in our lives if everywhere we went, we understood how loved we are? Like the power of love is unmatched. Have you ever seen someone in love just like dumb smile on their face, just like floating around, unaffected by the world around them? Like, bro, your car's on fire. Oh, is it? Oh, well. Like love will rearrange your brain and your life. And that's just simple standard human love. That doesn't even hold a candle to the type of love that God has for you. The type of love that knows you're going to mess up over and over again, knows you're going to betray me, knows you're going to lie to me, knows you're going to pretend like you don't even know me, but I'm still going to show up for you every second of every day type of love. That's God, and that should light you up every time you remember it. And that's the place that Paul is in every time he wanders into one of these cities and new situations. That drives every decision he makes. Nothing can separate me from this love that God has for me, this love that drove Jesus to die on a cross for me. That pushes him forward. So keep that in mind as we read through this. And yes, we're going to be reading this entire chapter, and so stay locked in as we read, and we'll stop along the way to unpack some things. Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 1, says this. says, Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. We just have to pause here real quick because last week, last week, Jamie preached through Acts chapter 15 and the big theme running through the entire chapter was you don't have to be circumcised and convert to Judaism to be saved by Jesus. But we just had... Timothy joined Paul and Silas, and the first thing that happens is Timothy is circumcised by Paul, right after they just talked about this. And when I read this, I was like, don't they remember just having a meeting about this? Like, I wonder if Timothy was like, Paul, put the knife down, buddy. Like, don't you remember Acts chapter 15? We don't have to do this. And I was sitting and I was wondering why in the world Timothy would be circumcised right after they just said it wasn't necessary for salvation. And then it dawned on me, oh, Timothy wasn't doing this to save himself. He did it just to get his foot in the door to share the gospel with these Jewish people. Because of their culture, these Jewish people would have never even spoken to Timothy. And so he's breaking down a barrier by doing this. Paul didn't force him. 
Paul's old and Timothy's young, like Timothy could have overpowered him, but Timothy's desire to share Jesus is so strong that he goes through this pretty significant and painful process just for a seat at their table. And I wondered, when was the last time I sacrificed anything to share Jesus with someone? Like more often than not, the least I may be risking is a moment of awkwardness, and the most I may be risking is that someone just doesn't want to talk to me anymore, but not really that much of a sacrifice, and yet we are so hesitant to share Jesus with people, let alone sacrifice for an opportunity to talk about him. I mean, I've asked before, but when was the last time you shared Jesus with someone? Like shared Jesus, not invited them to a church service, not invited them to a church event, not just gave them a Bible, but when was the last time you actually sat and shared your story and what Jesus has done for you and told someone what Jesus wants to do for them? Have you ever done that? Have you ever sacrificed anything for an opportunity to do that? Is that a priority for you? That's something to think about. The passage goes on. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. So stressful situation number one. I guess unless you consider circumcising Timothy stressful, which I actually do. And so this would technically, I guess, be stressful situation number two. Stressful situation number two is when plans change. Now we see Paul and these men going to different places to share the gospel and God literally preventing them, not because he doesn't want to share the message of the gospel, but he says it's not time yet. I have a plan for how this is all going to work. And so God is preventing them. What they thought was going to happen is now not going to happen. What they thought they were going to do, they are now not going to do. And the thing is, God didn't tell them before they started in that direction. It's like he didn't stop them before they started on their journey. They'd already started moving. They'd already started taking steps in that direction, and then God basically puts his hand on their chest and says, not so fast. Have you ever started making plans, started moving in a certain direction only for those plans to be changed or thrown away? Like maybe you thought you knew what college you were going to until a rejection letter came in the mail. Or maybe you were convinced that you were going to spend the rest of your life with a certain person only to find out, man, this isn't going to work. Maybe you were sure you were going to have a huge family only to find out that you can't have kids. Maybe you were convinced that you were going to live this long, healthy life only to be diagnosed with something serious. Or maybe you assumed that you had more time with someone until all of a sudden you were out of time with them. Like plans change, man, all the time. And for some of us, we've experienced some pretty significant and hard changes. So how do we respond as believers? How can we respond? Well, for me, the biggest way is that when plans change, I have to remember that God is still good. When things don't go the way I thought they were going to, I have to understand that God is still good. I have to remember that God promises to work in every situation for the good of those who love him. 
Now that can look a lot of different ways. And this can get spun a lot of different ways. And I am not going to be the pastor to tell you that if you just lost your home, that it's because God has a plan to give you a bigger and better home real soon. That might not be true. But very often, our definition of what is good does not always align with what God says is good. Very often, God's priorities are not the same as our priorities. You see, we're humans, and so we seek comfort and stability and predictability, like that's in our nature. But you see, God is seeking to bring you to life. God has your eternity in mind. He sees beyond just right now. And the thing is, at all times, God is seeking to draw you into closer relationship and dependence upon him because the truth is depending on Jesus is the best place you can be in the universe, even if you're forced there. Now, does that mean that God causes bad things to happen? No, it doesn't. Now, God could potentially be allowing some bad things to happen or maybe this is the enemy or maybe it's just the broken state of the world and the consequences of all that. For me, I think we need to let go of this question of who causes, why, what is going on, whose fault is this, because we're never going to have a way of knowing that in this life. Instead, I think what we need to focus on is who am I going to give this to? Like this mess, these changed plans, this brokenness, like who am I going to give this to? Because the Bible says God will use your pain and your changed plans for good. The Bible says God will strengthen you through that. He'll strengthen your relationship with him. He'll grow your faith. He'll grow your endurance. He can reach people around you who need to know him. He can build new relationships or restore broken or lost relationships. There's literally no end to what God can do when we place it in his hands. But the truth is, at the same time, the enemy is fighting and clawing for you, saying, put it in my hands. Because he wants to use your broken plans and your changed situation to crush your faith, make you question, to wreck your relationships, leave you feeling hopeless, leave you hating God. And the thing is, in any given situation, when plans change, you are giving that situation to one or the other. You're either giving it to God or the enemy. There's no in-between. Truth is, if you don't allow God to use it for good, the enemy will take it and use it against you and the people around you. And so Paul and the boys, they embrace the detour. The passage goes on in verse 11, says this. It says, so setting sail from Troas, we, this is the uh, writer of Acts, Luke, Luke, Paul, Timothy, Silas. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. They're covering a lot of ground right now, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. 
As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. This girl's possessed by an evil spirit that can tell the future and her owners are using her to get rich. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So we see in these verses the next big stress inducer. And this is, just so you know, this is more specifically directed at those who have said yes to following Jesus. But what it boils down to is living the life that God dreams for me. Now this sounds exciting and this is exciting, but it's also extremely stressful. And we see Paul and the boys traveling and having conversations and meeting people and training leaders and preaching the gospel and casting out demons and all these things. But in reality, their experience is a microcosm of what we've all been called to do and that is living a life that glorifies God and points everyone around us to Jesus. And it can feel heavy and it can be stressful. Like, how do I live a life that glorifies God and points to Jesus? How do I glorify God in everything that I do? How do I pray unceasingly? How do I not be anxious? How do I interact with my family and friends in a way that Jesus desires? How do I pour into my relationships the way Jesus desires? Like, how do I pursue God in an effective and healthy way? How do I maintain my focus on Jesus and stop getting distracted by every shiny thing in the world? How do I bend my desires toward Him? How do I live a life that reflects heaven on earth? How do I live a life that shows people that Jesus is worth it? And I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want you to hear it the wrong way, but you can't do all these things. You can't. You see, you've been called to do them, and yet you cannot do them. And that's extremely stressful. It's extremely stressful unless unless the reason that you can't do all these things is because you were never supposed to do them alone. You're supposed to be doing them with God. Not for God, with God. Living a life that God dreams for you with God. Understanding that the pressure was never designed to be on you. It was designed to be on God. There's a reason why Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But we've taken all this pressure and we've put it on ourselves. And it's this weight that we just can't bear up under. And so we get stressed and we give up. Or we go through the motions and we can go numb. Or we can crumble and walk away. So how do you fight this? How, how was Paul able to do all of this? Because it wasn't him. It wasn't him. Even he says it. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul says, I didn't do anything. I'm not special. I'm not a superhero. I'm not God. I'm just obsessed with him. And when I hear what I feel like he's calling me to do, I just do it. Think of Mary and Martha, these sisters who were close with Jesus, and Jesus is in their house, and, and Martha's scrambling around just trying to do, 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 while her sister Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him, and Jesus says, Mary has got it right. Now, does that mean that there's no work to do? 
No. There's a life that God has called you to, but to even begin to step into that life, Jesus knows it has to begin by spending time at his feet. Spending time with Jesus. In the book of Revelation, it says you've abandoned your first love. You've abandoned your first love. You forgot it was all about Jesus. You made it about trying to save. And you forgot that it's all about the Savior. How do you overcome the stress of living the life that God has called you to? Invite Jesus back into it. Instead of trying to use your own energy and determination to fuel it, instead let it be fueled by a wonder and awe and just amazement of Him. You start feeling stressed by all of it? I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, it's okay to put the tools down for a second and just go back to your first love. Doesn't that just sound like freeing and beautiful and peaceful? To just take a breath and get back to the best thing, this relationship we have with Jesus. Let that be the foundation. And don't, don't be impressed by the work that Paul does. If you're going to be impressed by anything, be impressed by how blown away he is by Jesus. Don't try to aspire to the work that Paul did. Don't try to mimic his work ethic. Instead, aspire to the type of devotion that he had for Jesus. The text goes on, and this is a big chunk. It says this, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, so Paul cast this demon out of this woman, and now she's not going to make them rich anymore, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He knew he'd be held responsible if all these prisoners had escaped. He was going to kill himself. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Amen. Now this is a long passage with a happy ending. But don't forget how it started. Don't forget how it started, man. Paul and Silas are dragged into the middle of the city and they're stripped naked and they're ridiculed and they're beaten and then they're placed in chains and dragged away to prison. The beginning of this passage shows our next stress inducer and it's facing opposition. Facing opposition. 
So we have when plans change, we have trying to live the life that God dreams for us, and now we have facing opposition. Now, you may never be dragged into the streets and beaten naked because of your faith. That probably won't happen for us here in America. But opposition doesn't always come in the form of human hands. Sometimes the opposition you're facing is addiction. Alcohol, drugs, porn, sex, your phone. And it weighs on you because this addiction presents opposition. It presents all the stress. If I could just cut this out of my life, man, things would be so much better. Sometimes opposition comes in the form of your mental health, anxiety or depression, both of which I've dealt with and still deal with sometimes. Terrified because you don't feel anything because you're depressed. Or terrified because anxiety is taking hold and you feel every little thing. The stress makes you want to hide, be reclusive, avoid everything. And then sometimes opposition is in the form of human hands. Broken or strained relationships, people you work with, people online you don't even know, family members that you can't even talk to anymore, conversations that you can't even start because they go from zero to 100 and blow up like as soon as you start talking. People ridiculing you at work or at home or just in life, making you feel like everything you do is wrong, making you feel like you're worthless. I mean, there's so much opposition. And these things that I mentioned, like they don't even scratch the surface. Like people are up against it. And so how do Paul and Silas respond? What do Paul and Silas do in prison? They worship. They worship. They face opposition with worship. They pray and they sing. Now listen, I know some of you guys in here just rolled your eyes like he's, he has to be kidding. I'm not. I'm not. Like pray and sing when I'm down and out and literally in chains. Pray and sing. Yeah. Especially then, actually. But like nothing in me wants to pray or sing when I'm in situations like that. I have no desire. Yeah, I know. The enemy's voice gets really loud when we're facing opposition. Well, how is singing and praying supposed to help me? What's that going to do for me? Well, it's going to remind you of who God is. You need to be reminded of who God is. Even every day, like every hour, but especially when you're facing opposition. So they sing and they worship. Now, will it be divine intervention and an immediate change of circumstances like Paul and Silas? Probably not, but you never know. I've seen stuff happen. But it might not. But what I can tell you is for me, at least me personally, what I can speak to is that in moments of desperation, with a broken heart and no motivation and no desire to sing or pray to God, that I started to pray or sing to Jesus anyway, even when I didn't feel like it and literally had walls inside of me start to come down. I've had chains wrapped around me that started to fall away. I felt hope arise when I was just hopeless like seconds ago. Now I have hope. I felt peace wash over me that I can't explain. Man, I, I don't worship God because I want him to change my circumstances. I worship God because he's my safe place. 
I worship God because I have to. I need it. And I'll continue to worship God even if nothing changes. I'll continue to worship God even if things don't get better. I'll continue to worship God even if things get worse because Jesus Christ has shown me who he is. And there's nowhere else to turn now. Nothing else delivers. There's this thing called an even if prayer. Even if. And it's the type of prayer where you go into it, where you bring your concerns and your hurt and your opposition to God and you say, God, please deliver me from this. Like, please take this away from me. But even if you don't, I'm still going to worship you. And man, I'm telling you that you are hitting a different level of faith when you start praying and worshiping like that. Things will begin to change for you. I think of three men being marched into a fiery furnace. Think of a boy being thrown into a den with lions. Think of my Savior on his knees in the garden. And I think about my mom looking death in the face because of pancreatic cancer. And she passed away two years ago to the day today, September 11th. And in all situations I hear, God, please deliver me from this. I don't want to face this. I don't want to go through this. But even if you don't, I'm not going anywhere because I trust you and I love you and I believe that you're carrying me home. So you can roll your eyes at me all you want when I say face opposition with worship, with worship, but it makes all the difference in the world. Don't listen to the enemy's lies. I know you don't want to. I know you don't feel like it. Do it anyway. It makes a difference. And it will change you even if it doesn't change your circumstances. And then the text wraps up. Verse 35 says, But when it was day... The magistrate sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned many who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And then they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now you may not have known this, but Paul and Silas are actually both Roman citizens. They're citizens of Rome. You may not have known this because the people in Rome didn't even know this. And the thing is, Paul and Silas, as Roman citizens, they're beaten and they're thrown in prison without being given any kind of trial, any kind of due process. And this is something that Romans only did with non-Roman citizens. Like Rome held its citizenship very highly. Actually, this type of mistreatment of Roman citizens was extremely unacceptable, but they had no idea that Paul and Silas were from Rome. They had no idea. They had no idea that these men were one of them. You know why? Because the time that Paul and Silas had spent with Jesus had changed them. They were different. Drastically different. See, they were citizens of Rome on paper, but they were citizens of heaven in reality. 
And man, that's what I want for South Point. That's what I want so badly for each and every one of us. I want our allegiance to Jesus Christ to be so radical that we might be Rhode Islanders or Americans or Democrats or Republicans on paper, but when the world looks at us, we don't look like everybody else. We're different. Man, we think differently and we love differently and we treat people differently. I want there to be a massive distinction between us and the world around us, like they're supposed to be. And I just don't see it. I want people to look at us and say, what's going on over there? Like, what's going on with this Jesus? Like, these people live with this confidence that doesn't exist anywhere. Like, everyone's searching for love, but they're actually like, they live like they found love. And it doesn't matter what happens to them. Like, their plans get wrecked, and they just roll with it and trust God. Like, they're all right. And they don't just do things for God. They're not out here on the front line trying to change the world for God. Instead, they're just living life with him, and things are changing. And then, like, the worst things in life happen to them, and they just keep singing and praying like lunatics. Like, they just trust God. The world's falling apart, but they're not falling apart. Like, I want that. I need that. I'm falling apart. I need something. I want people to look at us and see something. Like, what's the world see when they look at you? Do you look like everybody else? Do you look different at all? I want people to ask, like, could it actually exist? Like, could it be real? Like, this love that's so scandalous and unconditional that it offers life to people even when they're at the worst Like, could it actually exist a peace that not only can't be stolen away by the world, but that's just, like, given freely? Could it actually exist a God so powerful that he spoke the entire universe into existence, but so personal that he knows me by name? Could it actually exist a Savior that would lay down his life for a world that rejected him and hated him, just to give them an opportunity to experience redemption and salvation. Like, could that exist? Man, it exists, but it can only be found in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And I am sorry for the times when the weight of that and the truth of that has been lost on me. I'm sorry when the things that happened in this world distracted me away from who you are. God, I know that there are people in this room who are hurting. I know there are people in here who are facing opposition. I know there are people in here whose plans have been changed recently and they're still dealing with the fallout from that. I know there are people in here trying to live the life that you've dreamed for them and they're just not getting it, God. God, I pray in all these situations that we're not depending on our own strength or knowledge or ability. Instead, that we are just desperately seeking after you and letting you be the thing that carries us. God, I pray that we are overwhelmed and blown away by this love that you have for us, that we are certain, like Paul, that there's nothing that could happen, nothing that we could do, nothing in this world that could separate us from this love that you have for us. God, I pray that it lights us up and makes us radical. And I pray that you turn South Point into a community that looks so different than when people look at the people in this room and watching online, that when people look at this community, that they see hope incarnate. They see that the God of the universe is not only real, but he's still changing lives today and saving people and calling people by name, bringing the dead to life. Man, God, I just want us to be blown away by that. That's where change happens. That's where all of this happens is just this love and amazement of you. God, I pray that you change the hearts 
in this room, and I pray that as we walk out of this place that you are stuck to us. I pray that the love that you have for us changes how we live our lives. It changes us. I'm thankful for what you're going to do through this group of people, through the sacrifice of Jesus that you've made for us. God, we just commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.